good morning slash afternoon. Welcome to the Calories and Rice podcast, a perfectly passable China-Africa podcast. I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, and I am thrilled today that I've managed to enlist a podcast co-host. Please welcome Lena Benabdella. Lena is a PhD candidate at the University of Florida, and that's about all I know about you. Lena, <laughs> care to elaborate? Well, um, thank you for uh, welcoming me to the podcast, uh, Rob uh, Winslow. Um, I, um, I'm, I'm, I come from Algeria. I'm studying here at the University of Florida in Gainesville, um, uh, wrapping up a PhD um, program here in political science. My dissertation focuses on uh, Chinese investments in human uh, resource development uh, in Africa, so capacity building programs and vocational trainings are sort of my focus in the dissertation. Um, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks a lot. And thank you for agreeing to do this. My podcast co-hosting strategy was essentially asking, are you African? If yes, do you want to be a podcast co-host? Perfect. <laughs> and through that rigorous method, I managed to find you. That's That works. <laughs> and today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, African Development Jobs. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nino Duro, seeks to connect development workers with professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. On to today's topic. On Wednesday, October 7th, Yang Feng Glan, and apologies if I didn't get her, I, I don't know, her middle name correct, a 66-year-old Chinese restaurant owner in Dar es Salaam Station and Vice President and Secretary General of the Tanzania-China-Africa Business Council appeared in a Tanzanian court to be charged with smuggling ivory between 2000 and 2014. The American NGO, the Elephant Action League, described her as the most important ivory trafficker ever arrested in the country. I probably should have put that in quotes. Over the past two weeks or so, a number of publications have reported this story with the so-called Ivory Queen, a term that I'm not, not completely sure was Miss Yang's actual pseudonym. There are two aspects of the story that I found worth exploring. Yang's long-standing ties to the Chinese community, as she had been in Tanzania since the 1970s and was among the PRC's first Swahili speakers, and the role of the Elephant Action League in not just this woman's arrest, but in the media narrative. Since I'm completely ignorant about both, I have invited back to the pod Hongshang Huang, owner and manager of the China-Africa Social Enterprise China House, to help us look at these issues. And uh, just for a disclosure, Hongshang is a client of mine. Well, China House is a client of mine. Well, both of you are a client of mine. Hongshang, thank you for coming to the pod. Thank you. How are you doing these days? I'm fine. <laughs> okay. So, ivory is a little bit of your, your specialty. You, you gained prominence in the China-Africa field due to some of your work on ivory markets in Southern Africa. When you first heard about this story in particular, what was going through your head? Did you know Yang Feng Glan at all? And how could someone who had been such a pillar of China-Africa relations allegedly do such a thing? Well, when I heard about uh, a, a story like that, I will have two thoughts in my mind. The first thought is I'm not sure whether the accusation is real because I think the case is still in investigation. And now it seems that both Chinese media and international media have already like kind of like jumping into the conclusion that she's guilty, which we are not yet sure because the court hasn't said anything about it yet. 
On the other hand, I would not be surprised if such a person is involved in the ivory trade of like from Africa to China. I don't know this person at all, but because I have done quite a lot of investigation in Africa about ivory and rhino horn trade with the Chinese connection, I won't feel this this phenomenon surprising at all if the accusation is real. Why is this not surprising? Well, because essentially, in Africa, the Chinese people are involved with the ivory trade in essentially three ways. One way is like, I call it like souvenir level, which means the Chinese employees and so on who are working here in Africa, every weekend they go to do a little shopping of souvenir and then try to bring them back. The second one, I call it like container level, which means a lot of the Chinese businessmen, they are, when they are trafficking something else to China, such as timber, such as mineral, sometimes they also do ivory and rhino horn, this kind of stuff. And the third way is like sometimes people do use diplomatic channels such as like airplane and so on to traffic this kind of ivory. And and I want to make very clear to my readers, allegation, so if the Chinese, if any Chinese embassy gets very angry at this podcast, allegation, only allegation. Yep. <laughs> yeah, only allegation. This is right, not allegation. That's, that's what I was saying at the beginning as well. But it's not, uh, even if the case of Yang is not real, I do know there are some other kind of Chinese who may be involved in these issues. And I think to understand this correctly, we just need to understand two simple things. The first thing is, the main reason why the Chinese private businessmen are here in Africa is because they want to make money. So usually they will do whatever they can to make money. And a lot of the time, the business that they are doing are involved with some great area. For example, avoiding some tax, for example, um, trying to traffic something that is not completely legal. I would call this kind of like trade kind of like more informal. So this is one thing we need to be aware of. And the second thing is like to a lot of Chinese businessmen in Africa, Ivory and Rhino Hong, they are not something special. They are the same as many other merchandise, such, such as timber, such as mineral, such as like grocery. There's just some things for them to make profit on. So if you do timber, if you do, if you import grocery, and if they are all involved with some kind of gray area, ivory is just quite similar to that. It's not anything unique to them. What, can I jump here? Sure. So I, so, here I have a question then. Uh, do you um, have any idea about the timing of this then? Um, because it, it, it seems if this has been, if the allegations are saying, you know, that uh, Yang uh, was smuggling every between 2000 to 2014, and some of the reports I, were, I was reading were saying up to 1.9 tons of it, uh, which is, you know, sort of uh, big quantities of it. Uh, how come... The you know the, the the she's she's been arrested now. What what what's the relevance of the timing of it? I mean, what has happened in the last fourteen years? Uh, what has led to her uh, you know arrest being sort of timed uh, as it were basically now, right right before you know the summit? Uh, it doesn't have to do anything what with that. What summit for our listeners? Focac summit. Okay. Yeah. The Forum so. on China-Africa Cooperation. Exactly. Exactly. Seattle. Does it have anything to do with that? Is it? What do you have to say about that? 
Well, first I want to say is like I believe a lot of like the smugglers of like ivory from China to from Africa to China, they haven't been arrested yet, and they have been doing that for many many years. Right. So it's not surprising that she has been arrested right now. But I do think timing is related because right now in Tanzania the the election is 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 ongoing. So. What I heard from some which time, yeah. election the the presidential like, election so, yes yes the presidential election so what I have heard from some of my Tanzania friends is that the political parties may be using this case well for the ruling party it's a case to showcase that they are working on this topic and they have achieved something. And for the uh, like the opposition party, it's a good case to make to say, oh, the ruling party, you're not doing so well. So I do feel timing is relevant in terms of the election in Tanzania, but I'm not sure whether this is relevant at all to the forecast at all. Mm-hmm. If we can get into the the nitty gritty of what is the role of the Elephant Action League in this story? Every English publication I read included them, and it seems that they got more. Prominent than the Tanzanian investigators themselves or officials. Can can you comment on that? Well, I have been actually personally. I have been working with the Elephant Action League and some similar organizations such as LAGA, LAGA, or called the Eagle Network. Right now, what is happening now is first, admittedly, like the law enforcement in Africa is not that great. That's why a lot of the international NGOs and Interpol. They are now more and more working with the African governments to do this kind of law enforcement job. So, this case, um, I believe the Elephant Action League and some of their partner organizations in Tanzania have been following it for quite a while. But I can't comment on the detail, although I know some of those like detail, but I cannot comment on them because this is doing investigation and all this kind of work. There are a lot of secrets in terms of like. Who are actually involved? Who are actually helping? Who are the whistleblowers? So I can't comment too much. That's a shame because our listeners listen to this podcast for us to spill these sorts of secrets. Well, but if secret will affect the future law enforcement, then it's good to spill. That is true. So do do NGOs right now that or or conservation NGOs they're trying to work with law enforcement as, as a as a tool for conservation. Of course. What does that look like, um, if if you don't mind me asking? Yeah. Sure. Like usually, how this work is like this kind of international NGO. What they would do is first they would have their source of network. They would try to do investigations in Africa about ivory and rhino horn trade and so on. And then when they have this kind of information, usually they would work with the local law enforcement, such as the police, or sometimes even like the higher government officials on it, and try to make sure the police will actually be able to arrest these kind of criminals. And then these criminals. Do not easily get away from any like sentence and so on. That's what these kind of NGOs are doing. That's that's really fascinating. And how do average Chinese business people operating in East Africa feel about foreign NGOs? Oh, I would I would say. Actually, not only here, like not only in East Africa, I would say Chinese in Africa or say Chinese in general, they do not trust foreign NGOs. 
That's why after the this Ivory Queen incident, I have heard many of the Chinese in Africa saying, you know what, this case is not yet even confirmed, but it's just like the international NGOs and the Westerners, they are using this case to attack China. So it's nothing about Ivory, it's just, just about like the power struggle between the Western and, the, and China. So it's just a tool. So many people have been saying this. Many Chinese people do Would believe in that sharing a personal thought about how NGOs should approach this issue because in terms of in terms of sovereignty and in, in terms of law enforcement your I, I know in terms of capacity issues it's hard but farming out your conservation enforcement to foreign NGOs which then in turn capture foreign nationals living in your country strikes me as a problematic proposition. I, I'm wondering if, if you can can talk about how you feel about it. Well, to me, I actually don't feel that is too much a problem. I, I think it really depends on what you value more. Like you value more about whether we can stop the ivory trade and rhino horn trade, well, in this topic, or we value more about we should let, for example, let the Kenyan policeman handle the issues of Kenya. So for me, I feel the the like the, the 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 issue of like solving the problem is more important. So I feel this is fine for me, in my perspective. You're a terrible Chinese person. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of advice would you give? I mean, do you have any? Have you come into contact with any of these issues as you run uh, China House at all? Or do people come to you with these questions? Do you? Have you had any experience with this at all? Well, for me, like have been doing this China Africa work and have been running China House here, mm -hmm. like that conflicts always come to me about like this this communication gap between the Chinese and the NGOs. A lot of the time, the NGOs, the international NGOs, they really do not understand how to understand these Chinese people in Africa. And at the same time, the Chinese people in Africa really do not understand what is NGO and how NGO and media operate. So it's actually many times put me in a difficult position that I cannot, I, I, I need to sometimes compromise when I'm speaking to either side because otherwise they just totally do not understand like why why you are doing so for example this time although i have seen many chinese people like they're angry commenting oh this is evil foreign ngo trying to attack china again but i cannot jump out too much and to comment on that because then they will feel oh you are chinese how can you defend foreign right. ngo mm -hmm. so it actually put me in difficult position many many times yeah i could see that i mean especially with a case like this one uh, but it, it, it just seems so. Wh what's the role of foreign NGOs in this story? You think it's just because of how much media attention this has gotten, or? Well, mm. and, and if you don't want to answer it, or you can't answer it because it's an ongoing investigation, that's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. This one I cannot answer too much. Actually, to be honest, I do not know too much detail. I even mm -hmm. do, don't know whether this allegation would be proved to be real or not. Correct. I gotta go to this. So in in all the the the, the media narratives, Yang is called the Ivory Queen. I'm guessing that's a made-up name just for this story, or have you, in your years in Africa, heard of 
the mysterious Ivory Queen I don't... managing Ivory shipments for decades. A sort of Breaking Bad, but in Tanzania. Well, I think it's just a media thing. I think it's just like a media and NGO exaggeration of trying to catch attention. I, at least based on my knowledge, I don't know any this kind of like Ivory King or Ivory Queen dominating like the African Ivory trade and so on. I don't think so. And even in Tanzania, I believe there are much more, there are much more Chinese who are involved in Ivory, maybe with much more significant amount. So I feel it's just a media terminology that is used. And actually that's something that the Chinese people are very not happy about. It's like, even when the allegation is not yet proven, how can media call her already like Ivory Queen? That's true. That's a good point. A very good mm-hmm. point. Can we can we focus on on Yang herself? <clears throat> so when I think of an ivory smuggler operating in East Africa, and as someone who's never been to East Africa, so I'm super ignorant. You know, I'm thinking about someone who who might have. Uh, might have come in either as a contract laborer and finished their two years and, and wanted to supplement their income or, or just a, a Chinese business person who's already operating in a gray area. Yeah, someone in, in the area for, let's say, two to five years who operates sort of on the fringes of, of Chinese side because every, everybody they deal with knows that the sort of actions they do are, are, are illegal. But is that impression right or wrong and how does yang fit into this i would say that impression is totally wrong it's like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> thank you hong chao it's like there's a common misunderstanding for example like in in africa the chinese who are buying ivory they are tourists based on my experience that's totally not true it's and it's, the reason is very simple if you only stay in africa for a short a very short time you won't even know where to buy ivory and you won't have the connection to do any this kind of large scale like ivory smuggling. To do this kind of business, you really need to know a lot of people. And that's why the Chinese people who are involved in this kind of great business in Africa, in my experience, they are usually the Chinese who have stayed here for a really long time, even like more than 10 years, 20 years. Otherwise, they won't be able to do this kind of business. And another point with regarding like the great area business, I think like, in Africa, in general, many Chinese, a lot of the Chinese business are in gray area. No matter a state company, for, for example, for the state company, they may need to give a lot of money to the governor, to the president, in order to get a bidding. And for the small business, they may need to bribe, the, for example, the tax authority to, the, to get them tax benefit, or they may need to bribe the custom to get duty exemption, or they may need to do this and that. So that's why I say like Ivory just one issue among many of these great business is nothing special at all to Chinese businessmen here. That's a, a really good point. And so that clashes a little bit with the idea that the longer you stay, the more sort of versed in the culture you are, perhaps the more versed in the community, the more so that it definitely clashes with that. You know, the image we have of somebody who's a pillar of China-Africa sort of connections and the Chinese communities in Africa, because we think of we think of Yang, we think of somebody who's been in the continent, who's been, you know, a Swahili speaker, you know, for so many decades. And you think perhaps that there is a social 
responsibility attached to that. And so this definitely, this hypothesis about the longer you stay, the more connected you are to these channels sort of uh, are conflictual, right? Well, I think we need to understand it that way. So the first point is, as I said, most Chinese businessmen, when they are here in Africa, their only reason is to make money and then to go home. So that's their first priority. They are not trying to, most of the Chinese businessmen in Africa, they're not thinking about earning some money and then settle down here in Africa and they have their children, grandchildren here in Africa. I have met some of those Chinese, but those are very few. So when you are having an idea of like, trying to make as much money as possible and then go home, then why you would care about social responsibility? And so that's the first thing we need to be aware of. And the second point I want to say is like, we cannot, even if Yang is involved in this ivory issue, we cannot say she does not have social responsibility because maybe on one hand, she is involved in these kind of issues. On the other hand, she has been helping many other Chinese companies to solve out their practical problems. For example, help them understand the local situation, help them set up a business. business. Maybe she have even contributed to the local like orphanage and so on. So it's, it's very complex. So the Chinese in Africa, their face are not either are not either like black or white. They're usually gray. They are doing many good things at the same time, and they may be doing some bad things at the same time. And it's a, a really good point for listeners to to keep in mind. So if if you're in a context where you have you have to pay a bribe to a policeman, you know, just to help you find someone who might have tried to steal your wallet. If you're already doing things in, if you're operating in the gray already, then things perhaps like ivory are are just another extension of that. And in your everyday lived experience where you have been in an African country for decades, where you have helped Chinese people and, and, and Tanzanians work together to work in harmony, to put projects together, or, or spent time in orphanages, or, or donated books to a library. In that context, the ivory trade is, is the equivalent of a side way of, of earning extra income. Exactly. To continue doing b- So things. it's really difficult to say. That's actually why, because before I had been involved with quite a lot of investigation in Africa, a lot of like non-Chinese, they would ask me, oh, is it very dangerous for you to get close to the smugglers or, or, or not? And I told them, the Africans ones, yes, it's quite dangerous. The Chinese ones, no, they're not dangerous at all. They are just like our neighboring uncles and aunties, those very normal people. They can be very kind to you. They can be doing many good things. It's just that at the same time, they are involved with some kind of smuggling. For our listeners, being involved in smuggling, there are a lot of things you can smuggle. Like if if you're trying to smuggle like t-shirts duty-free, that's smuggling. So if you're smuggling, if you're willing to smuggle one object, for a lot of folks, there's no moral difference between smuggling t-shirts or, or, or ivory. And I, I know for certain listeners that might be a very problematic statement to make, but it's definitely something to, to keep in mind. Can I, um, can I just ask another question here? Um, as I was reading on this issue, especially in Tanzania, and I'm not sure if if you will have any input on this, but it seems that there was um, a few decades ago, there was uh, a big uh, issue with uh, smuggling ivory, right, and uh, poaching of elephants. And it just seemed uh, that the authorities were alerted to it and they were very proactive about 
trying to stop this. And the elephant population has been doing better since like mid-70s or so. And now that there is sort of a, a resurgence, right? So there's another sort of wave of, you see, you know, high levels of or high rates of, you know, elephant poaching and the elephant population is, you know, said to have dropped to a third uh, in the past decade. And so I wonder, okay, so if, if Tanzanian authorities have figured this out already, you know, three decades ago, and they have seen these patterns and they have uh, somehow were able to put a stop to this um, and the elephant population started recuperating, things were doing really, you know, be- well and better. How how can we afford to have a second episode of this? Uh, how what are what, what are the local authorities doing about this or what, what are they not doing about this? Um, is a big question. It seems that it's a déjà vu. It's it's something that has already happened. Uh, so why why see it through again, you know, a second time sort of question? Well, uh, I'm not sure whether I have a lot to comment on this because I don't know too much about the background and I don't know too much about the Tanzania Authority. But based on my understanding, first, there are money, as long as there are money to make, then this business will easily revive. And in the past decade, so as we see the demand, the strong demand from the East, Eastern Asia, I believe many people will be tempted to try to make this kind of money if there's opportunity. Mm-hmm. Who would not, actually, I want to say. Now, if you put me in that position, and if I'm not a like, conservationist, and if I'm in a position that I can make a lot of money out of it, and I'm less likely going to be discovered or punished, then maybe I would even do that. I think... If you are put in a position of that, you have the incentive. It's easy that you would go into something like that. Right. Really good point. Well, I think we've about exhausted this this topic. Well, well, will will Young's arrest change the ivory smuggling industry at all? I would not say any single case would change this industry, but in the past few years, I do I have been seeing a very interesting change. Like more and more people are paying attention to Chinese people in Africa and their connection with the ivory and rhino horn trade. And we have seen more and more investigation organizations working on this topic, and more and more those awareness raising organizations such as HSI, I4, they have started to work on this area. And also, we have seen more and more Chinese government statements and attention to this issue as well, such as like now more and more government officials, they will be alerted by the government that they should not carry anything like this on their diplomatic plane. And uh, even Xi Jinping has made some more statement about this. And we have seen this ivory topic more and more on our, even on the Chinese social media, like the WeChat news platform. So, I feel like this industry is changing. And maybe after Vorkak, there will be a significant change. Maybe. I mean, a lot of people have been reading ivory announcements by, by Xi Jinping about, about uh, import bans of, of hunting trophies. And, and there, you know, there have been ivory crushes. And it's definitely something that's, that's gained more prominence. But still, I nothing that I've heard of that 
has changed the the economic calculation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of smuggling ivory. Do you have anything you'd like to add before we sign off? No, I think we have we have we have covered all topics. I like the sound of that. Well, then, can you give us a recommendation for this week? Something you you've read or seen that you would like our listeners to know about? Well, maybe let's focus on this topic then. Based on this topic, what I have known is now quite a lot of international NGOs they are planning to do something more on this China, Africa, and the ivory topic. Like uh, IFOR is planning to, to do something on this topic, and HSI is planning to have a side event of Forca like in November. And I know WWF they are thinking to have something uh, right before Forca as well. So I definitely think like this topic between these Chinese people in Africa and I and conservation is would be a very interesting topic of this year and if people are interested people can read more can 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 try to look at the updates to see how this would develop excellent excellent mm-hmm. lena do you have any recommendations for our listeners i um i was just uh, reading up a few um you know reports from the environmental investigation agency uh, the, there was uh, one specific uh, report on Tanzania, and uh, I found it really interesting because it sort of puts the, you know, the uh, uh, ivory smuggling issue into perspective and into saying that most of the ivory actually does not just go to China, right? So the very first thing we think of is, oh, China, but it actually is one of six or seven destinations uh, that yes. the ivory goes to. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Katia, sorry to just... No, 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 sorry, so I, I was just trying to say yes, because I feel right. that's what we have missed. Yeah, so, I mean, Malaysia, Philippines, I mean, definitely other countries, you know, Hong Kong, uh, uh, Taiwan, definitely, and, 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 and China do have, do receive, you know, parts of it, but this is not, you know, all of the story. I mean, there were other countries that, you know, the report talks about, and so I feel like we don't talk enough about uh, you know, other destinations besides, uh, and, 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 I, and I'm not well placed to say, you know, that China has the higher rates, you know, of, of being the final destination here or not, but definitely the report was talking about a bigger picture. Um, and so that would be something to look into. Um, Do you know the name of the report? So the one exactly that I was talking about is called Vanishing Point. Oh, oh yeah, Vanishing uh, Point, yes. Right, so it's the it, it's the I think it is from uh, six months ago or so, uh, and it's by the uh, Environmental Investigation uh, Agency. And it's so. it's a really good report, and there's one page on it that talks a little bit about um, the possibilities of a Chinese presidential delegation, perhaps taking some ivory and out of this great big Hmm. report everybody focused on that so a lot of a lot of our listeners might if you ever read chinese president smuggles ivory yeah about six months ago it was based it was based off that report i think it was like page 23 i gotta check but i a a really good report as Mm -hmm. for my Mm -hmm. myself what, what i would like to recommend to our listeners nothing Ivory related is a great new website um, called Reporting FOCAC, a multimedia guide to covering the sixth FOCAC conference. 
FOCAC, the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation. Uh, it's going to be held in South Africa in early December. And basically, if you are interested in covering it, this website is fantastic. Uh, you, you can go to www.reporting-focac.com. And it is uh, basically produced by the Vitz China Africa Reporting Project and the China Africa Project. And it's a really high quality product. And yeah, I, I definitely recommend uh, folks, folks check it out. So Hongshang, how do people find you on the internet? Well, people can, uh, can find us on Facebook by searching China House Kenya. That's the best way so far. All one word or three words? I think when they type in three words, they will find it. Fantastic. So if somebody wanted to get in contact with you, they, they, find, they find your organization on Kenya, and then they just shoot your organization a message? Yes, they can just shoot us a message, and they can find us. Or they can find me on LinkedIn as well. Okay, and I will... I will make sure I write out your name correctly so folks can find you on LinkedIn. How many Hongshang Huangs are there on LinkedIn? <laughs> I'm not sure. I never never searched that. Well, you're the best one, so make, make, <laughs> make sure you, you find Hongshang. Lina, how do people find you on the internet? Um, well, the easiest, I would say, perhaps, is Twitter. Uh, and so that would be at L, as in my initial for the first name and then Ben Abdallah, which is my last name. And as you said, for I think it applies for me as well. Just, you know, type in my name, uh, you know, on the uh, podcast and then just, you know, searching it on Twitter would be the easiest. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook, but I feel like Twitter, uh, you know, would be perhaps the easiest way to get in touch. Um, so. Fantastic. And yes, you do have a wonderful Twitter account. And we, I think we first met at an African Studies Association conference, and then we kept in touch over Twitter. That's true. I think was it two years? Well, I think it was two years ago. ASA. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. The, the, in Baltimore. It was in Baltimore. It, you're Baltimore, right. Baltimore. Yep. The, the African mm -hmm. Studies Association annual conference. You will be there again this year, right? Yep. In San Diego. I, I, in San Diego, I'm bringing my wife, um, and she is going to enjoy San Diego while I enjoy the conference. Most excellent. I look forward to it. Um, and yeah, I myself can be found on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Winslow uh, underscore R. And I mostly tweet China Africa stuff with occasional non-China Africa stuff. And I think my Twitter account is pretty solid. So if you like China Africa, follow me, please. Um, and I'm and I'm fairly responsive. And yeah, that's about it. Uh, I, we'd like to thank Hongshang so much for, for making the time. Uh, what, you're you're in, in Kenya now. What time is it over there? The time over here is like 3.50 p.m. in the afternoon. And what are you going to do after the pod? Oh, continue many of the China House projects we need to do. You have no actual weekends. Every day no, you I work. Don't. Yeah, as a Chinese. <laughs> How very Chinese. Well, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, thank you, Lena, for, I think, a glorious initial episode. That is about it for today's episode. 
We would also like to thank African Development Jobs. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Double Twist, and iTunes. We are also teaming up with WTMD Community Radio from Macomb, Illinois, to share a podcast. We would also like to thank Mighty Mike and Pulse Recording for composing the theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care.